Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. In our last episode of Text Driven Podcast, we began looking at Edward T. Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. And we started talking about what is the fear of man. So just to kind of rehearse where we are in this discussion, here's where we're at. Fear of man is when you view man as bigger than God, where you need man more than you need God. And this might be difficult for you to identify in your own life. So what we're going to do is we're going to just continue walking through Welch's book, talking about the fear of man, and hopefully what will occur is you will become liberated from this fear of man as you begin to see God as big in your life. And just a few uh, points of reminder as we think about a biblical response to the fear of man. Uh, Listen to what Welch says on page 19. He says, To really understand the roots of the fear of man, we must begin to ask the right questions. For example, instead of how can I feel better about myself and not be controlled by what other people think, a better question is, why am I so concerned about self-esteem? Or, why do I have to have someone think that I am great? These are topics that we're going to look through through many different angles, and we're going to discuss the why we think this, and also how do we come out of this way of thinking. Another uh, point to, to have in your mind as we diagnose the fear of man is this. The most radical treatment for the fear of man is the fear of the Lord. So essentially what he says is if you want to overcome the fear of man in your life, viewing man as big in your life, then you've got to have a proper theology of seeing God as bigger. Here's the key. God must be bigger to you than people are. Here's another thing he says on page 19. Listen to this. Regarding other people. Our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. He says this is the main problem. We view people as needing them for us. And and it's all about intake. It's all about taking them in. And that develops a fear of man. Instead of needing them for ourselves, what we should be doing is we should be thinking about how we can love them for the glory of God. So instead of intaking, we should be giving out the love of Jesus to them for God's glory. So instead of looking for ways to manipulate others, we will ask God what our responsibility is towards them. So let's just begin kind of looking at this 
of the fear of man. And in chapter two, he outlines uh, part of diagnosing the fear of man. He says this as chapter title for chapter two is people will see me. And what I want to do, we're just going to walk through some quotes here. We're going to talk about them and hopefully just begin to, to pull back the, the curtain so that you can see in your own life uh, your struggle with the fear of man and then overcome that through seeing your God as bigger. So on the first part of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2 on page 23, he says this, one of the Bible's dominant questions is, whom will you fear? Now what he means by that is this, who are you controlled by? Who is it that actually drives and directs your life? Who do you fear? Uh, who is it that is piloting your life? Will you allow God to pilot your life or other people? And scripture does give us, he says, three basic reasons why we fear other people and why we let them direct our lives. Here are the three that he gives. Number one, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We let other people dictate our lives because we are fearful that what they're going to do is they're going to expose and humiliate us. Number two, we fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. We want to be liked, so we let them control us. Uh, we do the things that other people want us to do because we don't want to be berated and belittled and made fun of. Number three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. So these are the, the three basic reasons why we fear other people. And so what he does in later on in this chapter is he explains this idea of exposure he calls it shame he says shame is a root to understanding the fear of man listen to what he says the story of scripture quickly became one in which people frantically looked to hide and protect themselves from the gazes of God and other people. Now we understand this, don't we? Uh, maybe you're a parent. You, you, get, you get what this looks like. Your child has done something wrong. What do they do? They immediately run and they go and they hide themselves. Why? Because there's a sense of shame that comes because of the action that they've done. They, they want to cover themselves because of their action. Well, as we continue just looking at this, listen to what he says about the shame that comes in our world. He says on page 27, where do you find shame in today's secularized culture? Look at the bookshelves. Shame is all over the place. We also see shame in its technical form and maybe less technical form in what's called self-esteem. Shame and its feeling of disgrace before God and others surfaces in our culture as low self-esteem with its feelings of worthlessness. Now, when you think about self-esteem, 
feeling low about yourself, feel shameful about yourself, feel bad about yourself. Our culture says you need to feel better about yourself, but the problem is the more you feel better about yourself, the more you realize that you are more shameful. This is what he brings up at, on page 28. He says, doesn't the teaching of self-esteem and its emphasis on self seem to make the problem worse? He goes on, he gives a personal experience. He says, that was certainly my experience. When I tried to raise my own self-esteem, it just led to a painful self-consciousness and further individualism. Even from a secular perspective, the self-esteem teaching seems suspect. Don't we do children a disservice by showering them with unearned approval? The self-respect the schools are seeking to bestow comes only as a person develops a growing ability to meet difficult tasks, risk failure, and overcome obstacles. You can't simply confer self-esteem upon another person. To assume that, that, that other people can control our view of ourselves is what creates low self-esteem in the first place. He goes on to say this. The problem is that we really are not okay. There is no reason why we should feel great about ourselves. We truly are deficient. And, and that's what the Bible teaches, doesn't it? The Bible teaches that we are truly deficient because of sin. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners separated from God. So no matter how much we try to build up our own self-esteem inwardly, our own soul condemns us. Our own life, our own conscience says that there's something wrong that we are deficient, that we are defiled, that we are depraved. And that's why we suppress, as Romans 1 teaches, the truth in our unrighteousness. So, we recognize that we are deficient. I mean, listen to what he says on page 30. Have you ever noticed how often the evangelical church emphasizes honesty and openness? It needs to be a continuing refrain because we don't like to be open. We prefer walls of self-protection, even as Christians. Don't we prefer to hide? Don't we prefer to, to stay behind the wall and, let, and not let anybody in? Don't we prefer to uh, run and and make sure that nobody really knows who we are and we only give people a part of who we are because we're scared what they might do with it if they really knew all the junk in our lives? That's called the fear of man. We're terrified of genuineness, so we immediately revert to hypocrisy. He's, uh, Welch says we are people that live behind walls. We've covered ourselves because we're concerned what other a person might think of us if they really knew who we were. These, these coverings, these walls that we put up, they isolate us from other people. They protect us from the gaze of other people. And, and we use many different materials, don't we, to, to build these walls. Well, list, list some of them on page 30. He says we use money and fame and athletic accomplishments and our jobs and busyness. 
But here's the deal. No matter how much money we throw at our wall, no matter how much of our accomplishments we throw at our wall, we realize that they are all insufficient to truly cover our shame. They really do a terrible job of covering us. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll go into a place of fantasy world. Men, listen to me carefully. You do this sometimes. When you have needs that aren't being met, you run to the fantasy of your computer. And you don't want to be exposed. So you create this lifestyle and you indulge in pornography. This fantasy world, this wall that you can hide behind and nobody know about it. This is fear of man. This is what he's talking about. On page 32, listen to what he says. That's the paradox of self-esteem. Low self-esteem usually means that I think too highly of myself. I'm too self-involved. I feel I deserve better than what I have. The reason I feel bad about myself is that I aspire to something more. I, just, I want just a few minutes of greatness. I am a peasant who wants to be a king. When you are in the grips of low self-esteem, it's painful. And it certainly doesn't feel like pride. But I believe that there is a dark, quieter side of pride. It is thwarted pride. So, we hide. We create a wall, a fantasy world, of which we can hide behind. He says the masquerade, however, is anything but festive, this masquerade party that we live in. Because underneath the mask are people who are terrified that there will be an unveiling. You're restless, aren't you? Even though you've created a perfectly, perfect little fantasy world for yourself, you are still controlled by everyone else because you're terrified that somebody's going to see through your hypocrisy. They're going to see through how fake you are and you're going to be exposed and you don't want that to happen. And if this is how much the fear of man awakens us, I mean, if we're this terrified by man exposing us, how much more should we be fearful of a God who the Bible describes that his eyes are like a flame of fire and he sees through our walls perfectly? If we feel exposed by people, we will end up feeling devastated before God. I mean, we fear man as big, but in actuality, the one who we should be fearing that could expose us is God himself. So what Welch does is he shows this fallacy. Why would you even think that man is big when it's truly God who is big? He goes on and he quotes Luke chapter 23, verses 28 through 30. Listen to what it says. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren woman, the wombs that have never bore, and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. 
See, when Christ returned, those who are naked and exposed and their shame of their sin will prefer to be covered by the boulders of Jerusalem's mountains than to be exposed before the holy gaze of God. You're, you're fooling yourself if you think the materials of this world can cover your shame and sin. So what's God's answer to our shame and our sin? What is God's solution? He tells her, it's the gospel. The gospel is the solution to our shame and our exposure. He says this on page 34. Listen to the incredible language here. The gospel is the story of God covering his naked enemies, bringing them to the wedding feast, and then marrying them rather than crushing them. That's why David says in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. God's gaze is a curse to those who were naked, but it was a blessing to David. Why? Because David was covered by the blood of Jesus. See, God's gaze is a protection for those who have had their guilt atoned for and their sins covered. So remember this, that in Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, through faith, He has covered you with his righteous robes. You see, you are exposed before God. But if you will believe by faith in his death, his resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, then you will have your exposure of sin covered by the righteous robes of Jesus. He goes on and he says this on page 35. The first biblical perspective on the fear of man is that it is a result of the nakedness that comes from sin. Because of sin still present within us, we experience embarrassment, shame, the feeling of being exposed and vulnerable. As a result, we try to protect ourselves and avoid the gaze of others. And the ultimate problem appears to be the gaze of other people, but in reality, the problem is within us, between God and ourselves. So what, what, what's he saying? Don't worry about peer pressure. Worry about how God sees you. Live your life in the identity that if you have believed by faith, your sin has been atoned for. Your nakedness has been covered. So, I want you to think about a couple things. Number one, think about this. See, if you still have a hard time seeing the fear of other people, consider the ways that your private life is different from your public life. Are there sins that you can easily confess to God, but would be very difficult to share with another person? Are there things about yourself that you simply don't want people to know? 
These questions might reveal some of the roots of a shame-driven fear of man in your life. Number two, consider some of the strategies you use to cover yourself. And remember that most people wear multiple layers. These are the future further thoughts that Welch gives on page 36. So what I hope you come away with today is this. If you're struggling with the fear of man, the fear of being exposed, know this. You are already exposed before a holy God. And that should cause fear and trembling in our lives. But in the midst of that fear and trembling, God has made a way for you to have peace and covering of your nakedness and your shame. What is that peace and covering he gave to you? Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. And he covered your guilt and your shame with his righteousness. Let's defeat the fear of man in our lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to today's Text Driven Podcast. If you'd like to have more information about the ministries of Fellowship Church, I encourage you to visit our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co, where you can learn more about what God is doing here in Southwest Florida. I look forward to being with you uh, for another episode as we continue looking at how great and awesome our God is. I do encourage you to pick up Edward T. Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small, so that you can follow along with me in each of these episodes. God bless. Have a wonderful day.